We're looking today at Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 15 through verse 29. We'll read just five verses. Verses 14, a transitional verse from last week through verse 18. And I sound like an echo. Is that sound that way out there? Is it good out there? All right. Let us know. We need your feedback on how the sound works and sounds and so forth. Galatians chapter 3. You think about the lives, lives it took to liberate Europe from Hitler. I mean, think about all the bloodshed and all the cost for liberation. Well, for us to be liberated from the bondage of sin, it took Jesus Christ all his blood. I mean, he shed his blood, gave his life to liberate us, and that was very, very costly. Paul's writing to southern Galatia. He had started several churches there. He writes to the churches of Galatia to refute the false doctrine or the indoctrination of the legalist. They had come along and said, besides faith, we have to keep the law. Besides faith, we need to be circumcised. And so Paul writes this entire book to these churches to refute that. First of all, he tells me just shocked that they were carried away with this false teaching. Because they received the Lord in their life. They had the Holy Spirit in their life. And they knew something had changed when they put their faith in Jesus Christ. So as Gentiles, they didn't need to go and be circumcised. And Jews that hadn't been circumcised wouldn't need to be either. But most Jews had been by this time. He and Barnabas had evangelized this place on their first missionary journey. And we know they did a great work there. And then he wrote this book while on his third missionary journey from Corinth to the churches of Galatia, and they would read these publicly. And he's telling them that the, the, the faith of Abraham, the covenant God made with Abraham, superseded the law. Now remember, Abraham was saved the same way we're saved. We're not hyper-dispensationalists. We believe salvation's a constant through Scripture. We take the first time we find the word believed in Genesis 15, 6, The meaning is carried throughout the Bible. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him, which is a word we find throughout Scripture. Imputed is the New Testament way they translate that. For righteousness, and righteousness, again, in that verse for the first time, carries through Scripture. And so we know that his, his personal faith in Jesus Christ took place long before the giving of the law. And so that's what he wants to point out. It's a tradition here to stand, stand with me, and we'll read these verses, verses 14 through 18. Last week we left off in verse 14, or actually the last time we're in Galatians. That the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men. Though it be but a man's covenant, Yet, if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not into the seeds of many, but as of one, and to thy seed which is Christ. And this I say that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. God bless us 
as we take a look in the book for a walk in the world. Help us, God, to understand clearly salvation is by faith, plus nothing and minus nothing. That we're not saved by keeping the law. We're not saved by baptism. We're not saved by circumcision. We're saved by faith in the person of Jesus the Christ. Bless now, and it's his name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We'll notice several things about the law here in this chapter. First of all, the law was secondary. Secondary. It came after the promises of a- to Abraham. 430 years later, the law was given, but it was secondary. Abraham was saved by faith the same way everyone's ever been saved, by faith. And we thank God for that. In verse 15, he basically says, from a human standpoint, a covenant, a last will or testament is confirmed or ratified, ratified. So we know that in verse 15, you can't disannul what's been ratified or confirmed. Man's covenant, we learn in verse 15, is just conditional. It's it's human. We understand that a human covenant, but a covenant with God is eternal and unconditional. I love that. And we know so much about the word eternal. Um, People don't understand that. I I shared, I guess, a year or so ago with you. I was up at a camp speaking in in Camp Nathaniel up in Kentucky. And just before I spoke, the uh, first speaker spoke on the Abrahamic covenant. He was a Palestinian man, a wonderful Christian man. But he said the everlasting covenant was not everlasting. It ended. And, of course, I'm already in turmoil because I'm speaking next. And he just shared some false doctrine. And the camp director runs to me and says, you've got to straighten all this out. So I had to change in the middle of my thought process and change passages in my mind and go to Genesis 12 and 15 and, and share the great teaching that the Abrahamic covenant is everlasting. The Jewish people are the chosen people. While now they're rebellious, they're out of God's plan. I mean, we see now they have a gay pride week in Israel and they haven't accepted the Messiah and they're sinful people. God still has a plan to save them. They're still God's people and the covenant is everlasting. The land is theirs. One day they'll be saved. And one day the Lord will set up his kingdom there for a thousand years. It's an everlasting covenant. If you're a believer in God, your salvation is everlasting. I love John chapter 10. My sheep hear my voice. And I give unto them what? Eternal life. Not temporary life. Eternal life. And they shall never perish. Some come along and say, well, if you sin a certain sin or a certain amount of times... You know, you'll lose your salvation. Well, then it's not eternal life. If God gave us eternal life, it's eternal. Did you know prior to your salvation, you were eternally damned? You were dead in your trespasses and sins, destined for hell, condemned already. But when you put your faith in Christ, he made life eternal. And here we have in in verse 16, the covenant uh, with Abraham is unconditional. It's unconditional. Notice here in verse 16, it says here, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. And it goes on to say, Not to the seeds of many. The promise was of a seed, one seed. And that would be the Messiah Christ. Christ is not the Lord's second name or last name. It's his title. It can be translated anointed one. Messiah. Christ. Sometimes I hear people say, I pray in in Christ's name, amen. And I I wish they'd say, I pray in Christ Jesus' name, amen. But I, I don't fault that kind of a prayer. But we know the name, the lovely name of Jesus is what we pray in. 
But here he talks about the seed and, and obviously many metaphors Paul uses to point out that we are children by, of God by faith. And the promise of a physical seed to Abraham uh, doesn't go away with the law. The promise was given to Abraham directly. Look at verse 16. It says here, the, the promise was given to Abraham. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Abraham and his offspring, the promises were made of a singular seed. Now, who were the promises made to? Remember, God confirmed it with Abraham, ratified it with him, then with Isaac, and then with Jacob. Remember Jacob, those great experiences he had, those nighttime dreams and so forth. So God confirmed over and over about the seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't know his name, but they believed someone would come and pay for sin. And so we find here the reminder here of this. And of course, it says here he came directly to Abraham. But in verse 19, he came to Moses by, by angels. As he was a mediator, he came to him by angels. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Look at verse 17. Again, the covenant. And we know that this, the covenant pointed to a one-sided covenant. Man wasn't involved in several of these covenants. The covenant given to Abraham is unconditional. Meaning God's going to perform it whether the Jews are right or not. It's an unconditional covenant. The covenant he made with us is unconditional. You understand that? God is going to fulfill that whether we mess up or not. If you're a born again child of God, the covenant is a covenant that you are his child forever. And so here he says in verse 17, 430 years passed. And he said the covenant was given to Abraham. And, of course, we know it is an everlasting covenant. So the law was secondary in that God had already given a promise of salvation to Abraham. Second of all, the law is temporary. Verse 19. What does it say here in verse 19? I'm going to have to shut this off. I am so sorry. My page keeps blowing. My one hair keeps blowing. And every time I look back, I'm on a different chapter. But uh, we look here in verse 19 now. The law was temporary, it says here, until the seed should come. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgression, till the seed should come. Now Romans 3.20 says, no man is justified by the law. The law was given to help everyone understand sin, for the knowledge of sin. So here it's temporary. It, it should, it's only until the seed should come. And of course, Christ nailed the ordinances of the law on the cross. We see here the promise here was made. We know that uh, it was ordained or appointed. Now, it was given by angels, it says here. The, the seed should come, uh, should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained of angels in the hand of a mediator. Now, look back to Acts, if you will. Acts chapter 7. Quite often angels are involved. In fact, the word here is the word apagello, which is our word angel, who, who gave the promises. In Acts chapter 7, verse 53, it says here in Acts 7, 53, Who have received the law by disposition of angels, and have not kept it? And have not kept it. So, how was the law given? Angels helped give the law to Moses. And Moses, as you know, was a mediator. A type of the Lord. He's always interceding for the people. How many times do we see Moses praying for the people? God, don't judge our people. 
uh, you know, forgive our people. I love that about good leaders who pray and intercede for people. And Moses is a type of an intercessor, a mediator. He, he intervenes for the people. I love 1 Timothy 2.5. tells us the Lord is a mediator. He's a mediator between God and man. The one Christ Jesus, the only mediator. I'm thankful for that. We can mediate by prayer. But the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who is between man and God, mediating for our sin. And the angels here gave the message to, to Moses where Abraham had direct intercession with God. And here we find 2 Corinthians 5.19. God was in Christ reconciling the world. Christ is the one who reconciled us to God. And we're all given the ministry of reconciliation. Which means all of us are to try to reconcile people to God. How? Introduce them to the mediator, Jesus Christ. And they can be reconciled to God. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, we find here a great portion of Scripture. Now, we know what happened. Adam and Eve were created by God. And let me just say, you can see the Trinity in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, Elohim, that's the plural for God. In Genesis, uh, a few verses later, it said, And the Spirit, capital S, moved upon the face of the water. Then it said, Let us make man in our image. So, you know, you can see the Trinity all in Genesis 1. But we don't see the name Yahweh until Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. Man had fallen now. So what needs to happen? There needs to be intercession, an intercessor, a mediator. And they heard the voice of the Lord. That's the first time you find the Lord, the name Yahweh in Scripture. All capital letters, you know that by now. Not Adonai, this is Yahweh. What's happened? Man's fallen. Now all of a sudden they meet Yahweh. Who is Yahweh? We know my Hebrew professor, what a wonderful man. I call him up and I said, Dr. Price, I've got to ask you one more thing. One more thing, one more thing, like Colombo or something. And, and he always is so gracious to help me. How that the I am of the Old Testament learned this years ago is none other than Jesus Christ. I've known that since as a child. But I didn't quite put it all together with Yahweh. The covenant God. Who is that? Well, we know in several passages, Yahweh and the I am are one and the same, which tells us what? That the Yahweh, the I am of the Old Testament, we know is Jesus And so here we find the Lord for the first time. He's walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam and Eve hide from him. Why? They're ashamed. They're naked and they're afraid. And he said, why are you afraid? Who told you you were naked? What does that matter? And of course they had sinned. And so here we have the Lord Jesus Christ as a mediator for the first time in the text. Right here. Look at verse 18. What does he do? In in verse, uh, hold on just a moment. Verse 18, I believe. Verse 21, excuse me. It says, And Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Where did he get the skins from? He had to offer a sacrifice. He had to teach him the importance of blood atonement. Now, the Old Testament word atonement means cover. In fact, it's translated pitch. The ark's a type of Jesus Christ covered in pitch, covered in atonement. The Lord's in the ark saying, come in. What a type of Jesus. The ark bore the wrath of God like Jesus did on Calvary. So here we have the Lord clothing them in animal skins. He made a sacrifice. 
He taught them that their sin had separated them from God. They were now guilty and their sin had to be paid for. And temporarily they would offer a sacrifice. And this went on for 1,500 years until Jesus came and did it once for all. Aren't you thankful for that? I wouldn't want to have to kill a lamb once a year and have a day of atonement. I still appreciate the, the celebrations of so many Jewish holidays. But I'm so thankful that Jesus Christ did it once for all. So here, way back then, a mediator steps in. Jesus says to them, why do you feel guilty? Why are you afraid? That's what sin does. You know, when you're in sin, you ought to have a phobia of God. When you're living right, you don't have to shake in your boots in God's presence. You can go boldly in his presence. But when you have sin in your life, what happens? You start to fear. Am I going to get caught? What's going to happen to me? And you start to contemplate, do, what do I need to do? And I'm so thankful for 1 John 1, 9, which I've said over and over and over to you. To keep from continuing and saying you confess it. Confess it. Confess it. As you mature in Christ, you find later in life, you start to look back and say, I do that thing a little far less than I used to do it. I was joking the other day about, you know, how the Lord you know, uh, tells us to gird up the loins of our mind because the enemy in the world can just pump things into our brain. And I told you about that preacher that went to get a lawnmower and uh, wanted to buy this lawnmower. And he said, I want to buy your lawnmower. The guy said, well, let me tell you, to get it started, you got to curse at it like crazy. And the preacher said, well, I don't really use those words. I haven't thought of those words in years. He said, well, you crank on that lawnmower 40 times. They'll, call, they'll all come back to you. <laughs> we have this flesh and this depraved mind and a darkened heart, Paul says in Romans 1. So what do we have to do? Are we going to sin? Of course. If any man say he doesn't sin in present tense, 1 John 1, 8 and 10, he's a liar. We have an old nature. We need a new tabernacle. I can't wait to get a new one. But the old nature wants to do the wrong thing and we battle it all the time. We battle what we say, what we think, how we act. And we know that we sin, and so what do we do? First John 1 John 1.9. In Panama, in the canal zone, to dial for emergency in the canal zone, you dialed 119, not 911. You did it different, 119. So I used to tell our church people, hey, when you've got sin in your life, dial that emergency number, 119. First John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess, you know the words, don't you? He's faithful and just to forgive us, right? And to what? cleanse us. What's the Greek word? Catheter. You know that. Aren't you thankful? So here's the thing. We have to realize God will not tolerate us continuing in sin. He'll spank us. So confess it. Anyway, getting back to our text, thank God for Jesus, the mediator of our sin. And he mediates for us. In verse 22, it tells us that we're all under sin. Look at verse 22, back in in Galatians. Verse 22, it says here, But the scripture hath concluded all under sin. You know, no one can say I'm not a sinner. We're we're born as sinners. And sin did my mother conceive me, David said. He was a sinner from the moment he was a day day old in the womb. We know we're sinners. And if you don't recognize that, you, you can't know God. And we know the law was given as like a schoolmaster. We'll talk about that later. To teach us right from wrong. And when we come to the place in our life when we realize we're a sinner, we're now accountable. We've reached that age. And so here, all are under sin. Romans 3.10 used to be on your pizza boxes. 
As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know that. If any man say he hath no sin, he's a liar and the truth's not in him. Uh, but it says here, all are under sin that the promise of faith, by faith of Jesus Christ, might be given to them that believe. So Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. John three sixteen. you know that one. You know, we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And the seed was promised that would give us faith because we're all sinners. Without Jesus Christ, you'll go to hell. If you're here today and you don't know him, you're going to hell because of your sin. And that's a sad truth, but it's true. We hate to see anyone go to hell. I I pray for our politicians, our president. I pray for these folks every day. Why? I want them saved. I want them saved. I mean, we see one bad decision after another. It bothers us. But our calling is to reach people. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. We can't straighten out our politics. We can pray. We can vote. But we can pray. And that's the big thing we need to do in life. So here uh, we find that the law was, was secondary. The law was temporary. Finally, the law was preparatory. It was given to reveal sin. Verse 23 tells us we were in custody. The word shut up means custody. We were held by sin. It was like we were in a prison. We couldn't get away from that sin. Now I was saved at a young age, so I don't know the bondage like some people know the bondage of sin. You know, years ago we did a church play and and a guy came forward. We did a play after my wife's dad, who was an alcoholic. And we did this play, and, and my dad, my, my wife's brother died. He was electrocuted. That's how my father-in-law got saved. We did the play about that. At the end of the service, the man came forward who had been an alcoholic all his life. That night, he trusted the Lord. And do you know he never drank again? Only God can do that. Only God can do that. But all of us struggle. Men, we all struggle with lust. It's real quiet when I say that. No, no one's going to say amen to that. Maybe the wives would say it. But all of us struggle with sin. And we have to confess it regularly and ask for God to help us to, to come back to him. And we're so blessed that he's gracious towards us. But the law was preparatory to reveal sin. Look at verse 24. Whereas the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. And so here's the law as a schoolmaster, as a schoolmaster. We think of, uh, of, um, of the fact that it, 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 the law was to teach us and to train us as, as a schoolmaster in our lives. And I, I, I think of verse uh, 24, it says a schoolmaster, verse 25, but after faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. It's sort of like when you went to second grade and you finally learned to read. Some of you, no offense, maybe aren't there yet, but that's okay. But, you know, nowadays, some people graduate from high school and can't read. I had a guy in college who couldn't read. And I thought, how does this happen? But uh, you understand that you learn to read in elementary school. Well, when you get to college or to your senior year of high school, you don't need that elementary teacher to come in there again and have you read that Jack hit spot with the ball. You don't need that anymore. Why? You understand now. And the law is a schoolmaster that brings you to a place where you realize you're a sinner. God gave the law, and the law pointed out everyone's sin. Well, I'm so thankful we're not under all those ordinances because it would be so difficult 
to live in, in this era with all those laws. And we're not under those. But we learn from the hyperboles, all the exaggerated things in the law. We learn sin. And we learn that we're sinners. And that's what the law was for. To point out sin. Nobody could keep every little jot and tittle of the law. Impossible. The Pharisees thought they did. But they missed the biggest thing of all. They missed the Lord, the Messiah. So they're violating the law because of their hypocrisy and thinking they were right. And if you think you're right with God and you've never been born again, you're not right with God and you're missing the whole picture. Thinking you're right with God when you're not is going to send you to hell. You have to repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now I realize today, simple doctrinal message. I want so bad to dive in five and six because they're so practical, but we're not there yet. And Paul repeated a lot of things to just get people to understand justification by faith alone. And he says in verse 26 here, since Abraham's seed is Christ, we're children of God by Abraham. I love it where it says that I'm a child of God and I'm a child of Abraham. Paul called people who came to know the Lord in 419 his children. But here it's talking about being children of God, being children of Abraham, again, by faith. And then verse 27, as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. You've put on Christ. Now, what does this mean? Colossians 3 says we need to be hid with Christ in God. Let's go over now for a moment to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. 1 Corinthians, just before Galatians, is 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. One of the few words in our Bible that's not fully translated is the word baptizio. We just transliterate that. Bible, people who sell Bibles don't want to fully translate it because then all the folks who don't immerse won't get the Bibles. But when the ship, the sea captain yelled, baptizio, baptizio, he was saying, I'm sinking, I'm sinking, I'm going under. And that's what the word means. If we fully translated it in our Bible, we talk about being placed under the water. But here we're talking about something else, just a little different. We're talking about spiritual baptism. Verse 27, we just read, again says, for as many of us have been baptized into Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit capital S, are we all baptized into one body? Did you know the day you trusted Christ, you became part of the body of Christ? That's called spiritual baptism. By one spirit, we all became part of the body. That's why I tell people sometimes they'll get in an argument with someone at work of a different denomination. And I say, do they know the Lord? Yes, they do, whether you're brother or your sister. You know, you need to understand that. We're all part of one body. You know, we get to heaven, we're going to be surprised. I guess we maybe think only Baptists will be there. No, 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 no. Some Baptists won't be there. (laughs) It's having put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you become part of one body. This up here, water baptism, is just symbolic of real baptism. You understand that? We baptize people so they can identify with the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Now, we don't bury people with a handful of dirt. I had a wonderful secretary. She's a godly lady. And uh, she's a covenant Presbyterian, just but a, a godly lady. Loved her to death. And she was, we were talking about baptism. She said, I was baptized when I was a baby. I said, no, you weren't. 
I was nice. We had a great relationship. But I said, no, you weren't. You were sprinkled when you were a baby. Go home and look up the word baptism. It does not mean sprinkled. We, we, could you imagine if we brought Mike to the graveyard? Don't worry, I don't plan on burying you soon. We brought Mike, or uh, I should pick someone else. We brought Linda or someone. We brought him to the, the, gra- the cemetery. I don't want, who, I'm going to offend anybody I pick on, right? We had, well, let's find someone real young. Let's see. I've got to look in a different area. No kidding. And we brought a young guy and we laid him down. He had died prematurely and we thought, let's just throw a few pieces of dirt on him. That'll be fine. You said, that's stupid, Pastor. It would be stupid. We bury them. And if baptism is a type of burial, we don't just throw a few pieces of dirt on someone. But we are all buried with him in baptism. In other words, we're placed into a body of Christ. We want to die to our old nature. The old nature still exists. So we have to die daily, but we want to die to our old nature and be like him. When I'm, when I'm in the old nature of Dan, I'm not like him. I have two natures, I've told you, going at it all the time. New Dan and old Dan. Guy comes over screaming at me, calling me a racist because we don't let page. I want to just go, pow! And new Dan says, now you know. That's a bad testimony. You can't do that. Well, Lord, let him hit me just a little bit first and I can really hit him hard. And the Lord says, no, that's not right either. You know, that's our old nature. I'm supposed to lose 10 more pounds. I'm like, come on, man. That's what I weighed when I played ball in college and I got to lose 10 more pounds. You know how hard that is? I mean, donuts just screaming at me, please, Dan, pick me up. <laughs> I have an old nature. It's a daily battle. I have to die daily. I died to Christ and then I turned my life over to him. And that's symbolic of what happened when I'm placed in him. But folks, we still have a battle day in and day out. And I asked my father-in-law when he was like 85, we were real tight. I asked him about something. I said, do you still struggle with that when you're 85? He said, every day, son. I'm like, oh, my word, the old nature never gives up. And that's why we have to strive and have to just depend on the Lord. I'm so thankful for the Lord, but I'm also thankful that I'm baptized into Christ, that I can put on Christ, that he's in me. Uh, The Roman boys wore a toga, which was an elaborate garment, and they had a purple hem on it, and it was real fancy. But at manhood, they'd take that off and put a white one on to speak of maturity. Folks, we just need to grow up sometimes. You know, I sometimes, I'm 65 and sometimes I act like I'm 15 or 5. We all do that. You know, that's mine. It doesn't stop at 2. You know, that guy hit my car. It's his fault. Years ago, we were in the neighborhood and they were nice neighbors and my boys were playing catch. In the front yard, and the ball rolled and bounced near a truck. And the guy said, you better not hit my truck. And I thought, wow. Wow, that truck really meant a lot to him. But isn't that true with all of us? We don't want somebody to hit our truck or our car. Or to steal our possessions. The, the dumbest thing I ever did, I was in Panama. Had this big birthday party and this table laid out and all this food. And a Panamanian came through on a bike and in one swoop grabbed, grabbed, one swoop grabbed my cake and just kept on riding. 
And I thought, I'm going to catch him. And I'm chasing him several blocks through the city. And what does this look like? A hungry, poor Panamanian boy and a 6'5 preacher blowing down the street, running, trying to catch him. That was my cake, like I needed it anyway. But we are so selfish and so sinful, and we don't realize that we're going to battle all of our lives with things like that. And, of course, we have to learn to trust in the Lord. Are you aware the family of God includes people who don't look like you? My friend Ed Carter called me yesterday, just a precious man. And he was the guy on the Marshall team when the plane crashed. He didn't get on the plane and all that. And uh, the plane crashed, everybody died. He wasn't on the plane and he became an evangelist, went to seminary. What a great guy. I just love him to death. But he doesn't look like me, you know. A few weeks ago, I had a call from some people saved in our ministry, Green Beret. He doesn't look like me. Good thing, right? That's not what I'm saying, though. But the family of God includes people from different walks of life and even different denominations. And so we have to understand we're part of God's family. Now, the world says that we're all God's children. That's a lie. Only born again people are God's family. But here, we find here, verse 28, back in our text, we'll conclude in a moment. It says here, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's where we we want to emphasize what we just did. There is neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. For all are one in Christ Jesus. Isn't that something? That neighbor you don't care for can be one in the family of God if you tell them about Jesus. It's quiet. When you talk about certain things, it's quiet. Should I say it again? We have a good sound system now. (laughs) Love your neighbor. Realize they're a potential child of God. And, And you know, we're so bad at expecting the world to act like us. We don't realize that discipleship means to teach him all things. We can't expect the world to think like us without the spirit of God living in them. But when he moves in and takes up residence, he certainly will begin to change them. And if if ye be Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs, according to the promise. Did you know I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ? All the things in heaven are promised to me. Tonight I'm going to talk about the millennial kingdom, the characteristics of the kingdom. And just what it's going to be like on earth. I don't know. We're going to be on earth under that kind of kingdom. I'm going to think, if in my old nature, I'd probably think I'd never want to go anywhere as good as this is. But heaven's only better. Heaven's only better. But we're heirs. We have so much to rejoice about. Don't get so wrapped up in this world. If I watch the news all day Saturday, I can't watch the news. I'll get up and preach politics. I've got to remember to preach the word. But I get frustrated with the world. But in Christ, we're heirs of the promise. Two verses. Chapter 1, verse 6. Here he says to them, and I say to you, if you get sidetracked with ideas that you need more to be saved, I would be concerned for you. Because it says here, I marvel, Paul says, that you are so soon removed from him that called you under the grace of Christ to another gospel. They were going along with the circumcision thing. Chapter 3, verse 1, look what he says. Oh, foolish Galatians. He doesn't use the word moron here, but he says foolish. Those who lack understanding is what it means. Who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? 
It's a rhetorical question. It was the Judaizers. But so many times people get saved. They're not in the word. Nobody disciples them. They start to doubt their salvation. Some cult comes along and says, oh, you need this or you need that. And we aren't doing our job in discipleship. But if you're like that, you're being led astray. Remember, you're saved by faith alone. And stay in the word and you'll grow and you'll have more and more confidence in Jesus Christ. But he saved you. You don't want to go back to works. They didn't get you anywhere anyway. Amen. God is so good. When I go through trials and difficulties, I just have to go back to him in prayer. It's so wonderful. Prayer is so wonderful to be able to spend time with God. And it just seems like all those challenges in life just lighten up. And I just have a peace. I don't understand all the times, but I have a peace because God is personal to me. And if you don't know him, you need to know him today because he's an awesome God. Let's pray, Lord. Thank you for your word. Your assurance, your promises to us. Thank you for our salvation, which came from Jesus Christ, your son who shed his blood. Paid my hell and my sin debt. Set me free. And God, we thank you for our salvation. We thank you for the opportunity to remain here, to live for you as pilgrims in a foreign land, to reach sinners with the gospel. God, help us to remember our calling. We ask you to speak to hearts. If anybody here needs to be saved, that today they'll come forward and trust Jesus. If there's anyone here who needs to come for any other reason, our church doors are open, but others may need to come and pray for a personal uh, revival or pray for another. I don't know people's hearts, but you have spoken to each heart today. We ask you to bless now in Jesus' name.